wonderful to be back at First Presbyterian Church. It's an honor to be here once again. I wonder, for those of you who are a little bit older, if you can remember your first concert. Do you remember it? I remember mine. I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and I saw Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Anybody remember them? An old rocker from the 70s and the 80s. He, he wrote some gems. One of them in particular, he writes this, The waiting is the hardest part. Every day you see one more card. You take it on faith. You take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Waiting is very hard for me. You can ask my wife and my kids, trust me. How about you? How's waiting for you? Waiting on a vaccine? Waiting on a job decision? Waiting on a prognosis? Waiting on an acceptance letter to college? Waiting on God? Waiting is hard. And this passage that Jesus gives us in Matthew 13 speaks to waiting and why waiting is hard. And what does it mean as citizens of God's kingdom to wait well? Will you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13? We're going to look at two brief parables in verse 31 to 33. This is God's word. Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come to make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Will you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we quiet our hearts before you as our great King, and we acknowledge that we need to hear from you this morning. I pray that through these brief but powerful parables that are God's Word, you might empower us to wait well as your people and to invest our hearts and our imaginations in the kingdom that will never, ever fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Keith Moon was the legendary drummer for the band The Who. For those of you who are music geeks like me, you know about his now famous statement. When asked when, what Keith Moon thought about the new blues-based rock band led by some guy named Jimmy Page, he said famously, that band is going to go down like a Led Zeppelin. They're going to be a total flop. They're going to be a failure. They're going to go down like a lead balloon. He was, of course, very, very wrong. That band, Led Zeppelin, as they named themselves, did not go down like a lead balloon. They went on to be one of the most influential bands of all time. See, Keith Moon assumed that he'd seen it all before. Keith Moon assumed that it had all been done before. There was really nothing new to be discovered. He was presumptuous. He was arrogant. And he thought he had seen it all. Is it possible, friends, that as we approach God in our daily lives, 
that we can approach him with that same, I know what you're up to. I've seen it all before. I know your ways mentality as well. Is it possible that we can be presumptuous as we approach what God is doing in our families, in our communities, and even in our world? Perhaps we wonder why it's so difficult for us to wait well when our timelines are being disrupted rather than yielding to what God is doing. You see, waiting is so hard, and our presumption is such a reality, that's why we need to hear from Matthew 13 this morning. Because our timeline is so different than God's timeline. God loves to use these agrarian, uh, botanical images of the Bible, uh, of the God's kingdom that show slow growth that take patience. We like instant results. I want to see a return on my investment right now. And so we struggle with waiting. But here in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us perspective in the face of our waiting to understand a broader vision of the kingdom of heaven that we might trust him more faithfully today. What in the world is a parable? A parable is simply a deeper, a short story with a deeper meaning and was one of Jesus's favorite teaching tools. Now I mentioned the kingdom and we've talked about the kingdom throughout this entire service this morning, but what in the world is, is the kingdom? The kingdom is not a nation-state that is visible in the world today, like the United Kingdom or Israel or even America. The kingdom in the Bible is the messianic rule of Jesus Christ, which he began in his earthly ministry and he will complete when he returns in glory. This morning, God's kingdom is advancing and he is dead set on renewing every aspect of his creation. New hearts new families, new communities, and new creation. You see, the kingdom is bigger than just saving souls, as important as that is. It is a complete reclaiming of God's creation by our rightful king, who is rushing all of history toward a new heavens and a new earth. The rule of King Jesus is now, and that is the kingdom of heaven. Is this concept a little bit hard to understand? Nod your heads, yes. You're in good company because the disciples had a really hard time understanding it as well. So let's take a look and see what Jesus is saying in these short parables, where we find a man in his garden and a woman in her kitchen, and God is showing us how God grows his kingdom. First, I want you to see that God grows his kingdom from small to large. He grows his kingdom from small to large. God's kingdom starts small. Notice that in verse 31 and 32, it's a mustard seed. It's the tiniest, the smallest of all seeds. You could easily walk past it and think nothing. And leaven, is uh, this yeast is always tiny compared to the large amount of the dough. When God's kingdom is growing in you and in your family and in your community, we need to expect very small beginnings. Seemingly unimpressive beginnings, but small beginnings have been God's story from the very beginning, have they not? God preserved one family from disaster, Noah. God promised to one family, Abraham. God said, Abraham, do you see all those stars in the heavens? So will your offspring be. But it started small. 
What might a small beginning be for you this morning? Something that the Lord is laying on your heart that you know that is just, it seems small. It's just nothing but a mustard seed decision, but it could be massive. Maybe there's someone in your life that you simply need to call today and you had a conflict with him or her over Christmas break and you need to simply take a step of faith and say, will you please forgive me for the way that I treated you? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Never underestimate those small mustard-sized decisions like that. God's kingdom starts small, but God's kingdom always packs a punch. While the mustard seed and leaven are very tiny, they are filled with power like C4 and garlic. Just a little mustard seed makes an explosive impact in the human heart. And this was very hard for the disciples to understand. It's really important that we get this. The disciples were expecting fireworks, a military salute when the Messiah came to town. They were not expecting a poor, traveling rabbi from a backwater town called Nazareth. They expected the Messiah to come in on a white steed holding a sword and kicking out the Romans in a show of force. They had no category for the small beginnings of God's kingdom that would ultimately grow. I know a thing or two about small beginnings. In 1997, or excuse me, in 1993, three Sigma Chi fraternity brothers started spending every Friday morning going down to the bottom of their fraternity house and putting their face on the floor and praying earnestly that God would convert the non-Christian fraternity brothers in their house. Three. Little did they know that that mustard seed-sized decision of just going down on a Friday morning at 7 a.m. and putting their face to the floor to pray earnestly for evangelism would reap a harvest of converts and a harvest of ministers. I'm standing in your pulpit today as a member that is a harvest of those three men who simply made a small decision to pray. If God grows his kingdom from small to large, what are the implications for you this morning? What are the implications for all of us? Where are the small beginnings for your soul that you need to to step out on? What are those small decisions for your family, for your community that need to happen this week? Where are the small beginnings that are happening under your nose, but they're so small you're missing them because there's not a fireworks show and there's not a military salute? How does God's kingdom grow? God's kingdom grows from small to large, but also God's kingdom grows from concealed to revealed. Notice that the seed and the leaven are both concealed. They're both buried into the ground and buried into the dough. They're invisible. You no longer see them anymore. Jesus says in John chapter 12, speaking of his own life, that unless a seed is buried in the ground and dies, a harvest cannot come. Not only was Jesus speaking of his own death, he was also setting a course for all of the disciples like us who would come after him. Rather than a coronation, Jesus, our king, received a crucifixion. Rather than an exaltation, our king received first humiliation. 
If we are to follow our King faithfully this morning, should we expect anything different in this life? You see, nothing is really more mundane and ordinary than leaven being buried into dough. Yet over time, that buried leaven transforms the entire batch. Everything rises, everything spreads, and it starts with being buried and being invisible. As God's people, every single one of you here this morning have been buried into the lives of people in this community. Historically, we call that spheres of influence, areas of science and education and health care and manufacturing and business. God has sovereignly, as your king, put you there for a reason. He has not put me there. He has put you there. You have been buried into those places. God dropped you there for a reason. And in order for God's kingdom to rise, that means all of our kingdoms must fall. And we all have an agenda, and we all have a kingdom and a plan for our life. But we are not the kings of our lives. We are not the kings of our 401ks. We are not the kings of our time. We are not even the kings of our children who we love dearly. As our kingdoms are daily coming to an end, Jesus is pleased to use us in his kingdom of grace and mercy and hope right where he's called you this morning. You see, if God's kingdom grows from the concealed to the revealed, what are the implications for us? I think first it means that spiritual growth must begin with our hidden, secret life that nobody sees when we're alone with the Lord. One of my favorite quotes is by a Christian writer. He says, you cannot give to others what you have not received. What he's saying is, how can we pass on to others if we have not prioritized communion and connection and prayer in silence with the Lord? The kingdom of God begins with those small decisions when we are alone with him, hearing from him from the scriptures. I love this quote by the, the old Wesleyans from a long time ago. They used to greet each other in their meetings when they'd come into church or a meeting, and they'd say, Brother, how is it with your soul? And I love that question, because it's not getting at what you've been up to lately, how you doing. It's how is that invisible side of you? How is God nourishing your soul with the gospel? The kingdom of God begins with concealed and it moves to that which is revealed. What kind of person will, will we be formed into in 2021? You know that we're always being formed, right? The question is, are we being formed into citizens of God's kingdom? Or are we being formed into citizens of the kingdom of this world? The kingdom of God begins from the small and grows to large. The kingdom grows from the concealed to the revealed. And lastly, and so importantly, so beautifully, God's kingdom grows through all kinds of people. All kinds of people. God's kingdom grows through insiders. 
Uh, look at verse 32. Jesus says this, <clears throat> It is the smallest of all seeds, but, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree. Notice this, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You know, the original Jewish insiders would have been very familiar with that image because Israel in Ezekiel chapter 17, 31, and Daniel 4 is prophesied as this large tree where the nations and the Gentiles would nest in their branches. But notice... <laughs> Jesus flipped the script. Uh, they're not a large tree. They're a mustard seed that grows into a tree with small beginnings. They were familiar with that idea of the nations coming and spreading and being with them on their branches. We are now those birds this morning nesting on the branches. You know that we're all Gentiles. We are all recipients of the grace of God's kingdom. Missionaries, evangelists, you name it, came and shared the gospel. And, and our people heard it. We are the outsiders that have been brought in as insiders because of God's grace. We are those birds on the branches. We have to remember that. You know why? Because we need to ask ourselves, how might our families make more branch space for others here in this church. If we are all the birds that are outsiders that were brought in, how can we make more room? How might you make more branch, branch space at First Pres that outsiders might be seen and loved and welcomed with grace, just like we were welcomed? God's kingdom grows through insiders, and also God's kingdom grows through outsiders and undesirables. Leaven in the Bible typically has a very negative connotation. Um, it was synonymous with, with uh, sin's corruptive and infectious power. Jesus actually says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, because he doesn't want his disciples to be infected by the Pharisees' legalism and, and works righteousness. Did you notice that Jesus uses leaven here actually in a positive way? It's not a negative thing. He uses it in a positive way to show that God uses the undesirables and the outsiders to infect others with the kingdom of grace and truth. God uses the people that I often miss, and I bet you do too, we forget that God moves toward, Jesus moves toward the Samaritans, the demon-possessed, the unclean, the tax collectors, even murderers like Paul are the undesirables that make up God's kingdom. And it's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? I love what one Bible scholar, Michael Green, says about this. I can't say it better. He says, Common, uneducated fishermen and farmers, carpenters and women, tax collectors, and disreputable characters. It would all seem rather distasteful. But God is like that. He takes distasteful characters and transforms them. And then transforms society through them. 
God loves to surprise us and advance his kingdom through all kinds of people. Henry Nouwen was a leading scholar at the top of his field at Notre Dame and then later Harvard. He did the unthinkable. He stepped down. He left Harvard when he was at the top of his game. He left all the Harvard prestige to serve severely mentally disabled men. Every day he bathed them. He clothed them. He fed them. He wiped their faces. He cleaned them in their bathroom. He stooped that low in humility. What would, uh, excuse me, most could not read and all had no idea of the prestige of the man who was with them. Small beginnings, feeding and serving, bathing and dressing. He was invisible, buried into the lives of those men that Jesus cherishes. He served the outsiders, the undesirables, yet it was there in a mental hospital, not Harvard, that Nowen caught a vision and a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom with Jesus on the throne who willingly left behind the trappings of heaven to stoop low and take on human flesh, Jesus not only washed the feet of his betrayers, he also washed outsiders like us with his precious blood on the cross of Calvary. I hope that as we have seen how God grows his kingdom, you find this vision, frankly, unbelievably compelling that you've been reminded that, man, Jesus loves me this much. He moves toward all kinds of people. What a beautiful vision. My friends need to hear about this. But I think if you take this seriously, while it is compelling, it is unbelievably costly. Because Jesus is the king, that means that we are not. And to be a citizen of God's kingdom, we must surrender everything to our rightful king. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. Some of you this morning have never bowed your knee to King Jesus. You're Presbyterian, you've been baptized, but you are still the king of your life. You must surrender everything to be a Christian, to receive him as your savior and your Lord. Maybe this morning, no matter how old you are, this is the day that you see Jesus is my king and my kingdom must fall. And others of us this morning, if you're like me, I need to be reminded of this every day. I can preach a sermon and then get in the parking lot and then pursue my kingdom of comfort and safety and security just like that. We need to be reminded that God calls us to submit and surrender our thoughts, our imaginations, the dollars in our wallet, our kids, in submission to his reign and rule that is bringing life and joy and wholeness and a nation of God's people. We are a member of that kingdom. So as we continue to wait patiently for God's kingdom, how might we give our lives to those around us? Will you look to King Jesus this morning? That's the invitation before you. Whether it's the first time or the one millionth time, 
Jesus says this in closing, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Will you please pray with me, brothers and sisters? Dear Heavenly Father, your kingdom that is hard for us to see now is advancing rapidly even this morning, bringing in people that we often miss, and yet it is growing, and one day we long and await for you to return in glory where you will finish the kingdom that you have begun, and that we will reign and rule with you at the new heavens and new earth. That day when every tear will be wiped from our eyes and death and decay and evil and treachery will be gone. We will receive a resurrection body. We will behold our King face to face. Until that day, that day that we long for every day, will you allow us, Lord, to wait, to wait well, and to invest in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.